Welcome to Spring the Beacon with Ryan Rieger. Today we're playing Lego, and Daddy has other dice stay on my play Lego. Hey guys, welcome back to the Streams of Income radio show. I'm your host, Ryan Rieger. Today we're chatting with Joe Pergolisi and Matt Perkins of Website Closers. And so I learned some a lot. I learned a lot of stuff on this episode. Um, I've been interested in you know buying and selling businesses. You know, one day I'd love to be able to buy businesses. I think that'd be super cool. But um, you know, as I know a lot of folks listen to this are Amazon sellers, and I always was of the opinion, or not really opinion, I, I always thought that having an arbitrage business made it so it wasn't really sellable. Well, that is not true, guys. These these uh guys, website closures have been able to help sellers of Amazon arbitrage businesses, retail arbitrage, online arbitrage sell their business. Very cool. Didn't know that. But you're going to learn how um, in this episode. You're going to learn how to prepare for an exit. You're going to learn like what multiples are, like what uh, you could actually sell your business for. Um, I just learned a ton. I took a whole bunch of notes for this episode, but um, I guarantee you're going to learn something too. But yeah, think about being able to sell your business, make a, a bunch of cash all at once, and then go build something else. Very cool. You're going to love this episode. Here it is. Matt, Joe, welcome to Streams of Income, guys, and my honor to have you. Thanks so much for doing this. Yeah, thank you, Ryan. Appreciate being here. So yeah, this likewise. is a, Thanks, Ryan. unique. I don't normally have two people on at the same time, which is cool. So we'll get two different perspectives about what you guys do and how website closures can help folks. But um, I guess, Joe, you reached out to me first. I'll let you go first. I just I love hearing people's stories. It's always really fascinating because... Um, you know, I looked at your LinkedIn resume, you got a ton of experience. And so just tell us a little bit about yourself, how you got into what you're doing, um, some of your business journey. Yeah, yeah. Thanks, Ryan. So my my business journey started when I was around 19 or 20 years old. Uh, I was working in, of all things, a skateboard shop in New York City. This is dating back to 1993. And uh -huh. And I had this, um, you know, I, I have this gene in me, which is always, which says, how can you do something better? Mm -hmm. And I can't shut it off. It's always on. I'm always thinking about an idea. It's like, oh, if I was there, I would do this. Or, oh, why are they doing that? So, you know, I'm an imaginative type. I'm a questioning type. And I basically turned to the business owner at the time and I handed him a piece of paper, which you could really call a business plan. And I said, Hey, his name is Arthur. Hey, Arthur, I, I, I think I could, I think I have some ideas on how you can grow your business. And he looked at the piece of paper and he glanced it over and then he said, Oh, okay, this looks great. And he handed it back to me and that was the end of it. Well, wow. fast forward a year later, I ended up opening up my own uh, skateboard and snowboard shop. That's awesome. Right next to um, Arthur. <laughs> yeah. Well, the story, as the story goes, I ended up, Arthur went out of business and I ended up buying his inventory. Oh my goodness. So, <laughs> wow. Yeah. Yeah. Arthur um, didn't listen to your business plan. <laughs> Arthur didn't listen to my business plan and <laughs> I got some sage advice along the way, which was ignorance is a blessing to the youth. 
And <laughs> I, I still remember that to this day because if if I knew what I was getting into ahead of time, I probably wouldn't have done it. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I was following a vision. You know, I'm that kind of stage one entrepreneur that is is passionate. Is an, is you know you could call an artist and um, so so yeah I was fortunate enough to have my very first exit when I was around 25 years old I, wow. I got bought by a large chain and then um, you know some twists and turns I, I followed some 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 topics some things I was really interested in education I worked uh, at a marketing agency and then again the same thing happened uh, I was working on a farm. Um, the farm, uh, the farmer said he wanted to rebuild a wood-fired oven. And at the end of the meeting, I handed him a sketch. I said, hey, I think this is how we could rebuild the oven. Uh-huh. And he turned to me. This time he turned to me and he said, okay, build it. And I had <laughs> never built one before. So I just, I dove right in and uh-huh. Uh, I ended up building a franchise off of wood-fired ovens that I grew to 400 franchisees Jeez. across five countries. And I was fortunate enough that I ended up working with Steve Jobs and his executive team on a okay. project building an outdoor kitchen or outdoor kitchens for their Cupertino campus. Oh, wow. And I was also working with people who were taking second mortgages on their homes. So I, I got a chance to really work with, you know, hundreds, if not over a thousand entrepreneurs start scale or even help them uh, sell their businesses. Wow. And fast forward to where I am today. Uh, you know, I've had three exits. I love this journey. I relate really to the spirit of entrepreneurship. It's a way of life. I uh-huh. think it's the greatest path of self-development there really is. So, wow. So yeah, that's a bit about that's my story is summarized as best as I can. And I definitely um, get your story. I want to yeah, ask a follow up question though. With the uh, eggs, is it, is it more fun for you to like like? Could you imagine yourself still being in, a part of that wood fired oven business, or you would you have no. been bored a long time ago? I didn't eat a slice of pizza uh, for a year after I sold that wood fired pizza. Okay, <laughs> I I was done with it and. Yeah. yeah, I was fortunate enough to really feel the uh, inevitability and the finality of it. Wow. I wonder how many people go beyond it, like that are like that are uh, still building or, or maybe not even they're done building. They're just trying to maintain it and they should have sold it a long time ago. Do you run across business owners like that? That man, you should have sold this thing three years ago or 10 years ago. You're you're clearly thinking about other stuff and that would have been a better move. Yeah, Absolutely. I say that the, the three reasons why people sell their business is they've reached their number, um, they're burnt out, or they have other projects that they want to work on. So the burnout is real. Yeah, uh, We uncover that a, a lot. And people sometimes feel you know, a little embarrassed to share that, but it's, it's real. Um, and it's our job today as brokers to help shield that narrative because you don't want to you don't want to portray necessarily that somebody's desperate during right. the transaction sure yeah 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 i mean entrepreneurs we're used to like hey what's the new new next thing i mean did i my business looks <laughs> nothing looks nothing like it did when i first started i know you you guys are just meeting me but um i used to sell furniture on craigslist yeah. 
And I can't imagine doing yeah. that anymore. Now, I, I wasn't building a business that was sellable, um, but just we pivot so much and we, you know, are just never, it's hard to, hard to find somebody nowadays that's doing the same thing that you're know, for 10 or 20 years. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. You know, and I think it's, I think it's two things. One is I think the entrepreneurial mind mm-hmm. uh, can always recognize open doors. Yes. And they're, oh, it's just mm. embedded. You're always thinking about how do I make something better or what, Yes. how do I grow? And that sometimes parlays into how do I grow into new experiences? Mm. And I think just overall, I think we're now a generation or generation of no longer one career. We have mm-hmm. more choice. We have more options. That's right. Um, you know, there's more freedom there. So yeah, oh. shiny object syndrome. It exists. It's it strong. <laughs> oh my gosh. This has already been awesome. We could end it now and be good. But uh, Matt, I want to hear from you <laughs> and how your story. And then I definitely want to just talk about things like, you know, when should somebody talk to a broker? Why use a broker? And even maybe from the side of like buying businesses, because I'm actually in your guys' email list. I get emails from you with different opportunities because um, I would love oh. someday to be, be buying businesses. But Matt, tell us about your, you and your story. Yeah. I, I mean, my story is so different from Joe's. I, you know, I grew up in the middle, middle class household. Uh-huh. I had a father with the, with two PhDs. I have a mother with a, wow. with a master's degree. I mean, it's education. My grandmother was an educator. And so I went to college. Um, yeah. I don't know if that was, if there was another option. Uh, sure. So I went through that path. I got an accounting degree and uh-huh. uh, and went to work for one of the big four accounting firms. And um, I got married before I graduated from college. And I had a kid not too long after I started my career. Oh, my goodness. Uh, that's not really conducive to big four accounting. Uh, right. Some people can do it. It wasn't quite right for me. And, yeah. you know, there were really aspects of it that I just, I struggled with. I, mm-hmm. I didn't enjoy. And yeah. so I kind of went on, went on the hunt. I'm like, okay, well, what am I going to do? And um, I knew some people from when I was growing up, they had a small consulting firm, mm-hmm. risk, uh, risk management, insurance consulting, and, um, you know, great people. I'm like, yeah, sure. We'll give it a try, you know? And, and it was good for a couple of years. Mm-hmm. And, uh, actually I was, <laughs> I was at a conference and somebody came up to me and I was, well, I was talking with somebody about all of these different things that our firm could do and how we had people that spoke all these different languages. And mm-hmm. you know, we had people that spoke German, Italian. We had somebody that spoke uh, 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 French, you know, uh-huh. Spanish, German, all, anyway, all of these languages. And, and there was a recruiter that was there and looked at me and said, well, do you speak Spanish? I said, yeah, I actually do. She said, oh, are you looking for a job? I said, no. And like a great salesperson, she said, well, I have this opportunity. <laughs> I heard I, I heard free lunch. And so yeah. uh, I said, sure. Yeah, let's go ahead and have a chat. <laughs> and uh, it, it turned out to be a great opportunity. I mean, any, anybody that looks me up on LinkedIn would find I, I ended up working for Sherwin-Williams, oh, you know, okay. Fortune 500, yeah. phenomenal company, and had the opportunity to travel the globe with them. Oh, fun. You know, oh, you're, mar- well, you're married and have a kid at the point, right? <laughs> so did they go <laughs> with you? Yeah. By this time I had two kids, um, but, uh, you know, I was still based in, in Northeast Ohio, Okay, but I just, I traveled, I was traveling, you know, 
one to two times, one to two weeks out of the month, um, all over Latin America, you know, a number of different places in Mexico. I went Uh to Ecuador, Peru, Chile, Argentina, Brazil, you know, a couple different places in Brazil. I actually, I ended up making it to the UK. I went over to China. I mean, I I went all over the place. It was great. I absolutely loved it. Um, But I remember sitting down with my dad. And my dad, like I said, he had a couple of PhDs. Well, they were in marriage and family therapy and psychology. Okay. okay. So you can imagine what my upbringing was like. Right, uh, right. But uh, I'm sitting down with him and I'm, I'm thinking about, well, you've been doing this for like 30 years. And I'm thinking about all of the people that he's worked with and the lives that he's touched. Yeah. And I look at him and at this point in my career, I was, I was working in um, the global finishes division, uh, group, actually global finishes group of Sherwin Williams as a pricing manager, the global pricing manager. And I, I looked at him and I said, you know, you sit there and you talk with people, you save marriages, you, you just, you change generations of people. Mm-hmm. I put price on paint like, <laughs> and this, and I'm like, man, I, I don't, I, I don't know how much longer I can do this. Yeah. So, so I went kind of on, I, I continued down the path looking for something else. I'm like, I got to get closer to family. I got to free up some of my time. And eventually it was, you know, this opportunity to work with website closers came up and I saw this opportunity to work with people that have put in all of this time, all of this effort and energy into making something and to be able to help them to have a life-changing event, mm-hmm. you know, really, really spoke to me after yeah, having put, put price yeah. on paint. Okay. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, I mean, that's, that's how I ended up coming to, to where I am. And, and it works, you know, to your point about buying businesses or selling businesses, it works on both sides. Mm-hmm. You, you, have, you have this idea of, you know, there's something out there there's the right thing. I don't know what it is yet, but there's the right thing that's out there. I might be able to buy that mm-hmm. and make it something else. Yeah. You know, yeah. you've got a vision, you've got a dream. And mm-hmm. I feel like I can be a part of that for you and with you. Oh, cool. Yeah. Wow. That's awesome. That's an awesome story too. You guys are awesome. I love it. Just your background so fun and so different, um, but you're both at the same place. Tell us what, I guess, what website closures is for those that never heard of it before. Yeah, Joe, do you want to go ahead and hit that yeah. one? Yeah, yeah, sure. So we're a brokerage, very much like a real estate brokerage. Mm-hmm. And if you would just imagine a real estate brokerage has properties um, that they list and help sellers or buyers, for that matter, um, we're the same. Mm-hmm. We help people who uh, want to sell their business and people who want to buy a business. And Brokerages, uh, this particular brokerage has been around for well over a decade. And we're the largest in, let's say, the main street to mid-market. And what that really looks like in terms of dollars and cents is, let's say, half a million up to about 40, 50 million. We're the largest in the world um, in doing transactions. So we've done over a billion in transactions. we focus a lot on e-commerce. Uh, okay. We touch every aspect of business, whether it's um, SaaS, tech, consumer goods, Amazon businesses, luxury goods, uh, learning products, mm. uh, affiliate products, home goods, on and on and on. So 
there's a lot to know yeah. uh, in our brains, you know, a lot of different industries to track, a lot of financials, a lot of um, strategies, better understanding what the trends are in business, what's hot, what's not, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, and that, that I think could be really valuable uh, to people that are listening. You know, what are the, what are the best opportunities right now? Where, what are the evergreen products that despite some downward pressure um, you might be able to find uh, a good opportunity, whether you're starting a business or buying it from a broker's a brokerage. So mm-hmm. um and, and what we t- what we typically do is we'll work with a buyer. Uh, mm-hmm. We'll send them listings. We'll dissect the business, um, help them better understand the business. We'll be honest with them um, if we think it's a good business for them. So some of this is we we do read into the personalities of our buyers and mm-hmm. to better understand their needs and goals and. And on the seller side, we'll work with them for months before we take them to market, cleaning up the business, packaging it in terms of buyer speak. So there's mm-hmm. seller speak and buyers speak or languages. And, and so um, we'll work with a seller preparing their business um, hand in hand, everything from inception of, hey, I want to sell my business all the way to close. We, we hold their hand. And that's on both sides, buy side and, and sell side, as we call it in the brokerage. That's world. cool. Anything with you would, anything you would, yeah, go ahead. No, 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 go ahead. With the, um, with the broker, like I'm, I understand real estate a little bit more than I do buying and selling businesses, but typically like if I'm selling my house, um, that you wouldn't, um, or if you're you wouldn't use this necessary. There was, there's two brokers in a transaction. Is that the same thing with you guys? Or do you, um, with a business broker, is there a buying broker and a selling broker at the same, or is it the same person that's in both? Great question. Yeah. In our brokerage, it could be both. So okay. we can represent buyer and seller okay. or one or the other. Okay. Um, so, yeah, I mean, we really have, you know, we're challenged every day in a good way to have a lot of integrity, to be authentic mm. and to be diplomatic yeah. when, especially when we're running both buy side and sell side. Interesting. How does that work? Yeah. Like, let's say Matt's got a deal and I'm interested in buying it and he's representing the seller and I'm a buyer. Um, yeah. Do I want to yeah. talk to Matt or do I want to talk to you, Joe? And you guys are like battling out against each other. Well, <laughs> yeah. The, the way that I usually put it is, you know, you want to be able to work with somebody that you work well with, yeah. right? If, yeah. if you find a good broker that, um, you know, those are kind of things that you can, you can work past. Okay. At the, at the end of the day, right, the, it's always in the broker's best interest to make sure that there's a deal that happens, first of all, yeah. right? Yeah. First of all, there's, there's no benefit to us if there isn't a deal that happens, but yeah. at the same time, the one call that we don't want to get uh-huh. is the call that is three or six months after the transaction oh, and no. somebody's just not happy. Wow. I, because it, what yeah. that, that hurts us. Right? Yeah. Like they're happy. Like with the, uh, is the, the seller that, or the buyer that bought it? Like I shouldn't have bought this business or how, what's an example? Like, I mean, after that, it's kind of too late. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, if, if we've, if we've paired somebody up with the wrong business mm. or if we, I mean, I, I mean, you, the buyers and sellers, they need to be able to work together because there's always going to be a transition period. That's true. Yeah. This there, is not like a house. I'm not like, 
If I'm no. selling my house, I'm not going to transition them into it. Oh, here's the bedroom. And also, we're going to live with you for a couple months until you get used to the place. Yeah. Let, let me show you how you need yeah. to wiggle the handle so you can unlock the door. Now, you know, those things don't happen. But in it's, the business, they do. That's right. Yeah. They have wow. to be able to work together. And, and, you, and we always want them to be successful. Yeah. We have a number of businesses that we've actually listed three, four or more times. And the reason is, is because... There's somebody that had the initial vision and they uh-huh. created this awesome business. They came to us and we helped them sell the business. Yeah. And then there, whoever bought the business, they grew the business. They had this vision. They had this idea okay. of a direction to go with it and yeah. it took off and they turn around and they sell the business for double what they bought it for. I mean, wow. those are the with types us. of things that we love to see. Yeah. 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 They'll come back to us. That's uh-huh. what we want. We we're reputation based. A good yeah. broker understands that his reputation is everything because mm. in this business is about trust. People yeah. come to us and depending on where they're coming from, you know, like you just did in the introduction, right? Like you, you want to know, does this person have credibility? Can I yes. lean in? Can I actually absorb their advice? Where are they coming from? And a lot of times, even though it might not seem that way, these transactions are very emotional. Uh, yes. And you think that right. things are so cut and dry or very professional. Listen, I, I can tell you that the exit process for just about everybody is this combination of being really polished mm-hmm. and also very scrappy. So if you would imagine you started your business, uh-huh. you're overwhelmed, you're trying to build it up and that, that, that kind of passion and Again, scrappiness does resurface towards the very end of an exit Uh and having someone there to help you part and parcel what's really happening and translate. Uh I like to say we're midwives of of, uh, businesses. We're transition experts, Mm. so to speak. That's good. Wow. When um, should somebody start talking to a broker? (laughs) Yeah, I... I actually, that's a, that's a great question. Um, Joe, if you don't mind. Um, Please. I, I, so when I was working for that small consulting firm, I was at a, a continuing education conference and I sat through this uh, presentation by a guy that did middle market and upper middle market transactions uh, as a broker. Um, great guy. Uh, but I remember him saying and asking the audience, okay, when is the right time to begin preparing for your exit? Mm. And, you know, you get a couple of answers and eh, not really sure. He said, the right time to prepare your exit is as you are getting in, Mm. you know, at the very, very beginning is the right time. And he said, when's the second best time? Yeah. Now, right right now. Right. You know, if you haven't done it yet, and it doesn't mean that you have to plan, Hey, I'm going to sell this in five years. Sure. It's a, Hey, what is it that I want to get? You know, to Joe's point, you know, maybe you, you need to understand when you hit your number, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, understand, hey, when I get sick of this uh-huh. you know, uh, or, hey, if I start to get distracted, you know, and understand what all of these little pivot points are mm-hmm. and be able to identify, okay, well, what is it that I'm trying to do here? What are my goals? What are my objectives? And yeah. to be able to work from that standpoint. So, I mean, Joe and I work with people from you know, beginning to end, wherever that process is. Mm. 
you know, wherever, I'm sorry, wherever they are in the process. And uh, yeah, as soon as you can start talking and thinking about it, mm-hmm. it informs your decisions. Yeah. It really, really does. With, um, okay, so you guys obviously know I have a lot of Amazon sellers in my community, but, um, you know, there's a good number of them that are just doing retail arbitrage and online arbitrage. And I understand probably, so I know that that's probably not quite as sellable as a private label brand. Is that right? Um, so I, yeah, so I would say it's, it's still sellable. Okay. Right. The question is, is for how much? Yeah. Well, let's go over it. Cause I want to think, um, because like a lot of, I don't talk to a lot of Amazon sellers. Um, cause I don't have a private label community, like some of these guys you probably talk to, but I want to kind of instill the seed in some of the people listening like, Ooh, I could actually sell my business. That sounds really cool. What do I need to do to get it in a position that's sellable? Because I know some people come into a business thinking I'm going to sell it in five or 10 years. A lot of my students are like, I just want to make a few hundred extra dollars a month. Oh, this is working. This is working now. I can quit my job. Holy cow. I just quit my job. What now? What can it be? Um, selling the business is, is not always something that I think a lot of them think about. So I love that we're talking because this is going to ignite something. And one of them thinking, Oh, I can actually sell this thing. What do I need to do now to start turning it into something that is sellable. So is that something, can we like kind of break that down like numbers or, you know, just w- how to transition their business? What do they need to start doing? <laughs> Obviously talk to you is the answer, but like um, just some things that for them to start thinking about now to get ready for that exit or even maybe they're not going to sell it, but at least it's, it's better to have it be ready to sell and, and decide not to, than it to be like, Oh, I'd love to be out of this thing. And you didn't do the work to get it there. Joe, do you want to go ahead and, and take that one? Yeah, yeah, sure. I think um, you know preparing your business, um, one of the key things, it's interesting that you passed it off to me because Matt's really good with the numbers, um, is really making sure that from day one, you're keeping proper track of your financials. You don't have things mixed into different accounts. Mm-hmm. So as you're growing your business, the financial piece, is so critical because it gets the most examination of any buyer and you want to properly be conveying to any buyer what it is that they're looking at in other words what are your cost of goods mm-hmm. where's where's your cell phone bill and all of this how much are you paying yourself where's your gas mm-hmm. um, what are the real cost fixed expenses or flexible expenses Mm-hmm. What's your um, cost of goods? What's your Matt? What does Amy call that spreadsheet that we did for her? Uh, the um, unit economics. Yeah. <laughs> what are your unit economics per you know per item? Even if you're doing arbitrage. Okay. What does that unit cost you? Um, the, the financials are are the first big thing okay. to really start paying attention to. Okay. And then the second is the story of the business, the, the strategy. Okay. Well, how are we going to best position your business? Is it by review, you know, for your Amazon sellers? Is it mm-hmm. by your five-star reviews? Is it by how many hours a week you're working? Okay. Is it about the trends of that particular market segment? Mm-hmm. So, so that's where you start to roll up your sleeves and do the things that actually take time. And the sooner you get started on them, the less of a rush 
you're going to feel and the easier it's going to be on your own workload. I mean, we carry a lot of the workload. We carry, call it 75, 80% of the workload to get your business sold. Um, But we don't want to do is um, rush that 20% of what needs to get done in three weeks. Right. Please don't do that. Yeah. And and, and I would just... I, I would add two additional pieces, uh, like on the financial side. You know, mm-hmm. Joe, Joe mentioned the, you know, what are your personal expenses that you're taking out of the business? Mm-hmm. Um, one thing that's going to be very important is going to be the tax returns. Mm-hmm. When people, if somebody's going to borrow money to buy your business, mm-hmm. you absolutely need to have clean tax returns. You know, you can have your financials, and you could have in your, you know, say office supplies line. You could have you know, whatever it is that you bought for your family, you know, you, you bought your, you know, you bought your kids Christmas presents and, you know, that kind of flows through the office expenses line or whatever. Um, when, when you put that on a tax return and then the bank comes back and they look at it, they'll accept some ad backs is what we call them. Right. Mm -hmm. If you have a car and you're expensing that, right. If you have, Mm -hmm. you know, a couple of different things, they'll add those back and they'll say, okay, yeah, we understand that. And we'll consider that. What they won't consider is when you tell them, well, I bought some gifts for my kids and classified them as office expenses. Mm. Okay? So just keep yeah. that in mind. We have, we, we have that situation right now, now where <laughs> we had a seller who um, he does things with um, GPS. Mm-hmm. And so he, you know, he bought a car and he wanted to make sure that it worked with the car. Uh. <laughs> So the car somehow made its way into the financial statements somehow. Well, it, banks aren't going to like that. Okay. Um, Why not? He had to test his product. That makes sense. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He had to test the products. So that's that's one thing is, is the tax returns, especially mm. um, because um, and as, the SBA has a, the 7A loans that people use to buy businesses. Mm-hmm. And if you don't have those clean tax returns, the SBA is not going to be willing to lend on that. Got it. And so, so therefore you lose a potential buyer because you don't have um, the clean. Because they can't get funding. You broaden your pool when you have good clean tax returns and you have good clean financials. Mm. So the the second piece that I would add to yeah. to uh, the next piece would be kind of the operations of it, right? Okay. You have your process. You yep. know how you do things. Can mm-hmm. you document that, right? Think about the transition to the to the buyer before it happens, right? Make sure that you're able to clearly explain, articulate everything it is that you do that allows you to make your six figures or whatever it is that you're doing, however, mm-hmm. however you, much you've grown your business, um, how do you do that? Uh, because mm-hmm. that's going to be a key element of the transition. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. So like if I'm doing arbitrage and I'm the one out doing, you know, doing the work, well, it's, that's not as sellable as if I have shoppers that are doing it for me. I have a warehouse, I have a team. Um, Talk about for a second, like multiples, like what you typically see in like an arbitrage business versus, because you mentioned you can sell an arbitrage business, but for how much? So I would assume it's going to be lower than a private label brand, but um, is it, is it okay to give some type of just broad numbers of like, if you, you have this much in sales and if it's an arbitrage business, you're probably looking at this kind of multiple, you know, at least some type of range. And then if it's a private label brand, 
this number of sales, some type of range. Yeah, sure. I wondered if Joe was going to jump in there. Um, so, no, yeah. So when with website closers, we have a couple of actually we have a couple of different brokerages. We have some sister brokerages that deal with the lower end, uh, smaller businesses. I guess is sure. the way I should I would put it. Right. Um, businesses that are making anywhere from maybe uh, I don't know twenty five fifty thousand dollars a year. Up to maybe a couple hundred thousand. That's twenty five thousand fifty dollars. Twenty five to fifty thousand. That's like like the their profit. Yeah, the net income or seller discretionary earnings. There's there's a good number there for or a good uh, okay. Key. We call it SDE. Okay. Right. It's not necessarily your net income. It's your net income plus any interest expense. You add that back. You plus what you take out as a salary. We add that back. Okay. It's it's whatever the benefit is of the business to you. That's Got your it. seller discretionary earnings or SDE. Okay. Mm-hmm. And we'll take that. And that's what the multiples are based off of. Mm. Now, um, if, if it's a smaller business, we see multiples that are kind of sitting around maybe two to three. Sometimes you'll get up, at, up to the four area. Okay. Obviously, um, with private label our brands, those are obviously a little bit on the higher end of that. Mm. As you start to creep into the six-figure bottom line, say 150. It's like a six-figure six SDE? Yeah, six-figure SDE. At that point, you're you're starting to look more around with an arbitrage business, probably something somewhere around three okay. is kind of where you would be looking yeah. plus or minus, right? Two and a half to three and a half is probably where you're going to end up listing. And, um, so and if I have a million dollars in SDE, you're looking at maybe around $3 million sale. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay. Maybe, a little, maybe even a little bit more, um, sure. depending on how attractive the business is, right? If you have employees that are going out and doing this and you don't have to do anything, yeah, that's even more attractive, right? If sure. you're only spending say 10 hours a week, yeah. right? But if you're the one running it, it's, that's going to, that's going to kind of tamper the, uh, the sure. uh, multiple a little bit as well. Okay. All right. So if there's I'm a business a, owner and I'm doing 500K, else. sorry, just real quick, just want to make sure like a lot of our folks, you know, if they're doing between 500 and a million in you know, gross revenue, um, let's say that they're, you know, on the lower, they would be in the, on the lower end because their SDE would be a lot lower. They may be looking at a two multiple. I don't think I wouldn't list that low. I mean, okay. maybe that's what it sells at. But I definitely list it. I, I don't I don't like listing anything lower than a three. So okay. I okay. <laughs> actually I don't like listing anything lower than three and a half. But okay. um, you know, we would probably put it at that three, three and a half range. And it um, might might only sell for a two potentially if it's a smaller one. Um yeah, I mean, there's always negotiation. Sure. Right. Right. Yeah. Sorry, Joe, I didn't I want to let you go ahead and jump yeah. into. Well, yeah, no, it's when we talk about valuations and price what goes hand in hand and, and it's, it's a bit of a rabbit hole, but we'll, we'll try and be succinct as possible is the word terms. So if your list price, let's just say is a million dollars, there's a way potentially for you to get upwards of 1.2 million or even mm-hmm. on the extreme end, maybe even 1.5 million through the terms of the deal. And some of that looks like uh, when, when you do a transaction, you're looking at four, as we call them, levers, okay? Mm-hmm. There's uh, cash at close. Mm-hmm. Then there's a seller note where it's like seller financing. The seller mm-hmm. will hold a note against the buyer and make interest. Uh, the interest is good. It could be between 5 and 
aggressively 10%. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the third lever is something called earnout, where the money is not guaranteed like a seller note is. However, an earnout can earn you even more money mm. okay, than perhaps the seller note could because it's pegged to the revenue. So if okay. the business outperforms, the seller is going to get um, compensated for that. Mm-hmm. And the fourth lever is, is equity. And if a buyer plans to sell the business after they buy it, then if someone's holding equity, their 20% on day of close could have looked like worth 200000 wow. But on the second exit, their 20%, now that the business has grown 10x, could now be worth $2 million. Wow. So it's critical that any of your listeners or any mm-hmm. sellers understand that the, at least from you know my perspective, I'm more of the strategist in, mm-hmm. in this in this dynamic duo that between Matt and I. Mm-hmm. In my mind, I don't pay the the big. I don't pay a lot of credence to the um, asking price or purchase price. Of course, it needs to be valid, needs to be legitimate, it needs mm-hmm. to be fair. I'm very much focused on the terms. I believe the deal happens in the terms, Um, especially if there's chemistry between the buyer and seller, Mm -hmm. the terms will always end up being more favorable. Mm. There's more give and take that could happen. Yeah. You guys just said something that was brilliant. Like that I didn't think about before. I, I typically with, I have like a, about this much knowledge of buying businesses. I've read a, I've read a book about it and I've, you know, I'm on some email lists. Um, but I, I always had the opinion or the, I guess it sounds like it's improper knowledge that with using a broker, that there's not a whole lot of flexibility or creativity in the deals. Um, but what you just said totally debunked that <laughs> because I figured like you guys want, you guys need, you you obviously get paid when the deal happens, but if there's earnouts and seller financing, then that lowers your potential of your commission. So how does that work really well with you guys of being able to still, you know, earn a decent commission on a, on a sale that is creative like that? Well, I'll, I'll tell you that there's, there's, there's truth to what you said, uh-huh. but it's broker dependent. Okay. Okay. Right. Like one in the hand is two in the bush versus someone rushing to get a deal done without everybody's best interest. We've seen, we've done enough deals to know uh, that the real win is the reputation, not mm-hmm. the close. Mm. Yeah. I mean, that, that kind of brings it back around, right. To what we were talking about earlier. Right. And, yeah. and those two of those elements that Joe mentioned are actually three of them. You, you need to have a lot of trust from a seller standpoint in the buyer. Yeah. Right. If you're going to extend financing to the buyer, uh-huh. even if it's $150,000, you're like, I really want that $150,000 to get paid, right? Uh, so you sure. have to you have to trust them. Yeah. And especially in an earnout and an inequity yeah. situation. I mean, and it's not uncommon for us to do that. Joe and I were actually not, you know, the hour before this call, we we've been talking about a deal that we have that's sitting out there and we're talking about, okay, well, where do we need to be in that whole spectrum of how much of this needs to be cash? How much can we get funneled into a seller note? How much yeah. of this is going to be sitting in equity because the seller wants 20 to 30%. Yeah. 
Yeah. And, uh, you know, how much of this is going to sit in earnout, and, mm. and how amenable is the seller to earnout? We yeah. know he wants to be involved. He wants to continue as the CEO of his company. Okay. But, um, you know, so he's going to have to have a good relationship. Yeah. Without getting too deep in the weeds, can you guys still get paid on that deal? Can you get some equity? Can you get part of the interest so that you're not, you know, um, you obviously you're working hard to make this happen. So you deserve your, your fair compensation. <laughs> Well, our, our focus is to be able to get as much cash as possible for our client. Sure. Yeah. And so I don't, I don't think we've ever run into a situation where the cash isn't sufficient to be able to pay out our, our commission. That's good. Okay. Um, and, you know, if, if that does become an issue, I mean, we obviously want to make sure that our client is, is happy. Mm-hmm. We're not going to let them walk away from the table with nothing. Right, uh, right. Or even something, you know, de minimis. Uh, sure. We, we want to make sure that they have a nice payday, right? Yeah. Have that nice life-changing event. Yeah. And so we'll do what we have to, to make sure that that happens. That's cool. Is this uh, like right, right, right now is an amazing time to sell a house. Like right now we live in North Texas. Uh, we had a neighbor that sold it before it even hit the MLS. Um, <laughs> is this also a good time? To, like, is there times that are better than another for buying and selling a business? It's a great question. By just curious. I know that might be a random off the wall question, but I'm just thinking about like in relation no. to houses, you know, is there any, any relation to businesses? Like now is not the time to buy or now is, you know, now is the time to sell yeah. your business. It's like this, it's hot right now or something. I'll give you a little bit of, I'll answer the question. I'll give you even a little bit more context for your yeah. listeners. So when you take, when you, when you're tracking your financials and you're tracking your trends and your seasonality, if you're really paying attention to those numbers and and you don't have to be good at numbers to start a business. I wasn't good at all when I first started. My mom was my bookkeeper. Yeah, you just so get a guy like Matt to partner up with and you're set. You know, I hit the gold mine with Matt. But exactly. that's a different conversation, maybe yeah. for a different Yeah, yeah that's my well, savior in, in a lot of ways. Well, uh, let's but when you're let's when make you're sure that everybody knows. On, <laughs> let's make sure everybody knows, Joe. My wife does our books. So, <laughs> and she was an interior designer. Okay. So let's, let's just make sure that we've got everything straight. <laughs> so where I'm going with this though, is when you develop your indicators, you know, your buttons, your dials, your levers mm-hmm. within your business as you're growing. And again, you don't have to know this. From day one, you're going to have to spend some time just thinking about your business and 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 making sure that you're okay with being an amateur. Like if some of your listeners are first-time entrepreneurs, like mm-hmm. it's fine. You're not good at developing a P&L. That's okay. Right. Like yeah. you will learn and you'll understand the value when you're learning. And in turn, what that's going to help you see is your trends and you're going to know, okay, I'm leveling off. Mm. Why am I leveling off? Okay, I know what I need to do to get my business into, let's say, the sell zone. Mm-hmm. The sell zone is either flat or even better if you are growing by 5 or 10%. So you need to really be, you don't need to be growing by leaps and bounds, mm-hmm. but you want to see some growth. And that is a good indicator. Flat is okay. Declining 
is always tough. You have to have something really unique and special mm-hmm. for someone to buy, a, as we call it, just a distressed business. Mm. Yeah. And, and if, if you don't have somebody that's unique and looking at the business or you don't have anything terribly unique and it's in decline, you could still sell it. It's just, mm. what's the price you're going to get, right? Yeah. Yeah. Sure. I mean, we talk, we talk about, you know, these, we talk about three businesses that each make a million dollars, right? One of them last year made 750. One of them the previous year made a million and the other one made 2 million last year. Okay. Which one are you going to pay more for? Yeah. Right. Yeah, the one that was yeah. the one that's growing, right? The one that's growing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. I want, I also want to just, this could be fuel for your listeners too, is try not to predict who's going to buy your business. Mm. That is a trap. Do not, that's another reason to talk to a broker so you could better understand what kinds of buyers Mm -hmm. uh, are out there and who's going to find you attractive, Mm -hmm. right? Because you're building your business one way, but once you start thinking about selling, you're going to start to want to, let's say, um, shape your business in a different way, but do not fall into the trap of thinking, you know, who's going to buy you. Mm-hmm. Trust a good broker. Someone from, I thought somebody from Italy was going to buy my uh, wood fired oven business. Mm-hmm. And it turned out to be someone from Sri Lanka. Mm. Like I could have never have guessed in a million years <laughs> who would be interested in yeah. your business. And I see, we see this day in and day out. So one of the (laughs) biggest things is do not try and build your business to attract a buyer. Mm. If you're thinking about building your business to attract a buyer, it's time for you to email Matt and I and jump on a call and we can help you figure out, okay, this is, these are actually realistic targets. To buy my business and these are the decisions I need to make to make it look attractive to those types of buyers. That's big awesome. piece. That was a big yeah. piece, Ryan. No, that's awesome. How so how do um talking about that, if so, folks do want to jump on a call with you, what's the best way to reach you guys? Yeah. Matt, I, your email is gonna be easier than mine. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my my email is M Perkins. Yeah, I, okay. I know that one's a tough one. And website closers. at websiteclosers.com. Okay. Uh, we also have we also have our bios up on the website closers page. There's a bio for the brokers. Um, you can find Joe and and uh, me there. Just you know, go there, hit the P, and there's Perkins and there's Pergolisi. Perfect. And Joe, yours would be <laughs> Jay Pergolisi at websiteclosers.com. Correct. Correct. Uh. Yep. Anything else I'm missing I didn't ask that I should have? Anything that's, um, that you just you want to share with folks that um, we didn't discuss? Good question. I, you know, here's one little thing that I really like to tell a lot of entrepreneurs is there's, there's three types of entrepreneurs out there. There's the, the artist slash passionate pioneer. Mm-hmm. There's the ones that are really good at scaling and let's mm-hmm. call it operational. And then there's the third kind who uh, is good at both and that they've metabolized the lessons from each of those stages. They're big mm-hmm. picture thinkers. Um, you know, I could put it in simpler terms, left brain, right brain, mm-hmm. someone who can leverage both sides of their brain. So 
don't think that one or the other carries more weight mm. uh, or success opportunity. It's, it's untrue. Um, we've seen incredibly successful people who have been at the helm of, of inflexing their, their artistic and passions and they hire a good operational person. And then the good operational person, you know, doesn't necessarily need to be the creative. They just need to be smart enough to find the creative person who's going to help, you know, drive the business, be the reputation or, yes. you know, come up with the creative ideas. So really important for entrepreneurs, I think, to know that for one, they're not alone. And for two, they don't have to know everything. Nobody knows everything, especially when you're getting started. There's a lot to learn. Don't be don't be shy asking for a business owner for advice. That's good. Matt, anything you would add? I mean, uh, you, you've asked a lot of great questions. You really have. Um, and Joe has, has given some really fantastic answers. You have um, to. <laughs> <laughs> I do my best, right? So it's uh, it's it's uh, been an absolute pleasure to talk with you. We yeah. thank you very much for the time. You guys too. This is my honor. Yeah. So much fun. I, I a lot of the reason you know I love talking with folks like yourself is because I have an interest in this personally. So I feel like I mean I don't even. Of course, I care if people listen to this, but for me, this is just so cool to get to talk to you guys because, you know, I, I do one day want to maybe I'd sell part of my business. I don't know. Um, but do would love to buy, yeah. be buying businesses. So to build yeah. that relationship with guys that are brokers is, you know, kind of a selfish thing for me. Like, yeah, cool. Let's do this. <laughs> well, who knows? Oh, maybe yeah. one of these days uh, you sell your podcast. No, yeah, don't can you sell a podcast? You don't think that doesn't happen. Really? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, wait, you, yeah. for, how would you sell a podcast <laughs> when I'm a host? Like, how does that, how is There's, that very sellable? There's a long-term transition oh, for that one, right? Okay. Right? Yeah. 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 I mean, you, you go through, there are multiple ways to do it, right? If mm. you find additional talent, right? Mm. And so that you're not having to do the podcast every time. Sure. Or perhaps, you know, so when people start seeing transition from Ryan to somebody else on yeah, every you'll know. podcast, they'll, 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 they might start to get suspicious, right? Yeah. But, um, you know, that's, that's, uh, there's a long term play there. I mean, that's obviously one where you definitely need to think in advance for the exit because sure. there's going to be a longer transition. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, yeah. Uh, or you could, you could always sell to another podcaster, right? Somebody who is looking to pick up additional elements, right? Mm -hmm. There, there are umbrella podcast companies that have multiple podcasts. Uh, sitting so it's, there's a market for it. Yeah. Interesting. Never even thought about that. Guys, don't worry. I have no intentions. Those of you listening to some of my podcasts, but that's interesting. I didn't even know that was even possible. Oh, yeah. Cool. Oh, yeah. Guys, thank yeah. you so much. This is so fun. Um, feel free to re yeah. you know, email me back if you ever want to jump back on. You got some other news or um, especially in the Amazon selling space. I know that changes so often. Like if uh, you know, if there's ever any updates about, you know, or just related to Amazon selling and, and selling that that brand or their account um mm -hmm. totally interested in that and of course oh, yeah. happy to chat with you guys we, great yeah amazon businesses we sell a lot of them mm. a lot of them so yeah yeah we would love to stay in touch this is a lot of fun awesome thanks guys welcome you're uh it's been fun appreciate it yeah. thank you ryan yep bye bye everyone see you next week